I am a little bit of a pessimist, and you are, you know, but we know that. But that's my job. You're supposed to bring the positivity here. Munster, not one of the best teams in the world at the moment. The Red Seventy Eight with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, David Myler is with us. David, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. What's the crack? Not much, not much, you. I'm good, I'm good. Uh, long time no see. First time, first time caller, first time meeting. I bumped into you at the Champions League final. I know, I know, I know. I wasn't in the mood to talk, Joe. No, I have to say, I have to say, David, you're uh, much bigger in real life than I thought you were. I was like, wow, I'm looking up at David Myler here. It's like, uh, I, I was Googling your height afterwards going, what? I had no idea you were such a big man. Oh, no, I'm six foot three. Uh, six foot three. There you go. Colin Buig was uh, gone. He's only six foot two. Six foot two. two yeah. yeah. There's a, no, there's a significant no. difference. One meter ninety is what I am. There you no go. No claims. The claims online in one eighty nine. But don't worry, I'm clinching onto that six three. Yeah, it, it had been a long day for everybody at that stage. We met after the game. Um, yeah. I don't know if I was just about to be tear gas or if I'd already been tear gas. But um, there was certainly mm. it was it was floating around on the wind. What was your experience like of getting into the game? Uh, horrific, uh, to be honest. Um, I was like I don't ask me exactly I came through that bypass uh, underneath the tunnel do you know where the the bus had obviously cornered off a little tight little alleyway for people to come through and I came through um, with I don't know 15, 20,000 people um, which is just ridiculous um, like it was just it's, it's almost hard to kind of relive it because there was so many people trying to get through and People were obviously rushing to get to the game. People were banging off one another. Um, and then obviously once we got up towards the stadium, obviously then you had to go and into your um, into your gate. They were closed. Um, I gave myself good time. Usually I'm quite relaxed. You know, with football, I'm not really too entertained with warm-ups and kind of, I kind of get in there. But on that occasion, I decided to get there early. And obviously the barriers are shut. Uh, people were up against the barriers. And then all of a sudden... People were going to get pressed up against the barriers. And there was a, somebody in my section where I was, somebody forced the barrier open um, and then the police rammed it shut. Then the tear gas and the pepper spray came. Um, it was just a horrific experience, to be honest, um, on the whole thing. I, look, I imagine everybody, including yourselves, who've you know watched the news, whatever, would have seen some, some of the stories. But yeah, I was right involved in it. Um, and it was... Do you know what? It was scary. Um, it's the first time I've been to a football match where I've actually been scared and been worried because it was just, you know, the actions of the French police were just, you know, uncalled for. Um, and the whole thing was, there's no other way to really put it. The whole thing was a shit show. You can see how easy it is for uh, that scenario to go pear-shaped really quickly. Somebody gets frightened or a noise happens and there's a push and all of a sudden the barrier's there and loads mm. of people are getting pushed up against it. Yeah, and like... Um, I I hadn't anything to drink at that time, um, so I was like fully aware of what I was doing and everything. The, the biggest problem I found was the people who were right up the front by the barriers, obviously weren't being left in. But the people who were behind them, like I'm going to say, like oh, six seven rows back, didn't know what was going on, and they were kind of just chit chatting, kind of coming forward every time, thinking like, oh, people are getting in, and then all of a sudden you just have this like, you know, compressed group of people up against the barrier. Um, and it was like, that was the thing that was, you know, young boys and girls and um, teenagers just, you know, stuck. Um, and then on a different occasion, there was a big group of like young lads came 
I'll never forget it because like they had snoods on and some had like hats on, like covering up to their face and they were like trying to run through. Um, I imagine, look, I imagine they were young lads from Paris or whatever. Obviously, knowing the Champions League final was on, they were desperate to try and sneak into the stadium. But they were just like running over the top of people, banging into people, trying to force their way through. And it, 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 like I was at that at that moment in time, I was with, you'll have seen me, I was with a friend and his wife. Um, and he he had a, a bit to drink, um, but she wasn't. And like, she was upset. She was crying. She was getting barraged and whatever. And she said, like, after, I remember after, she says, I'm never coming to a football game again if this is what goes on. Um and like it, it was, it was frightening. Um, well, can you imagine bringing your kids? Yeah, and them seeing that, like that is horrific. Like, you know, if, if you're you're speaking like that, Dave, imagine a kid what what they're thinking now. That oh, that's what it's like to oh. to go to a football game. Like this is bucket list stuff for people. Like this is you know, take it off the list to go to a Champions League final, and then for this to happen is horrific. It, it, it was, and like what what actually scared me the point afterwards, like. I've got two young kids. My daughter's my daughter's six and my son is three. Uh, we were on a family holiday in Portugal. So I flew from Portugal over um, to Paris. And I said to my wife, like, if my son was six or seven, I'd have probably brought him. Um, this is just like an... Oh, the line's gone. We got him back. But uh, yeah, it's oh, a- that is harrowing listening to that. Like, that's the first time I think I've heard someone speak really in detail about how it was for them and how close he was at the barrier. And yeah, claustrophobic just listening to it. Yeah. When he was saying he was coming through the tunnel and there was that many people, you actually just get shivers. Yeah, it was it was, uh, it was no crack. It was certainly no crack. Uh, David's back. Sorry. Yeah. You, you, we, you said you would have brought your, your, your son if he was a bit older. Yeah, that was the thing. And like, I was like, I would have look, I'm very fortunate that I have friends who play and whatever, and I can I can get my hands on tickets. So I was like, the opportunity to bring my son to a Champions League final or whatever. Now he's too young now, obviously, but in a few years' time, I'd hope to bring him. But I was there, like, like after, I was like, I'm never bringing him to the Champions League final again if it's, in, like, in Paris or France or whatever, because, like, the whole thing was scary. And as I said, the crowds, there was, like, young lads, teenagers who'd lost their family. Like, 12, 13 were going to be like, oh, I'm lost. I don't know where my family is. And... Like, this is the hard thing. I had my friend's wife crying and I was like, there's just so much going on here. I, I don't even know what to do. And another case then, there was the armed police were running down the road. Um, I think there was about, say, I'm going to say probably 40 of them in lanes of two. So there'd been 20, lane of 20 in twos. But they were just running down the middle of the road and they had the bat on in the right hand and their shield in the left hand. And anyone who was in their lane got banged. Like I've seen like, Young boys and girls, uh, teenagers, grown men, women, like old men and old women were just getting barraged out of the way. If you weren't in their lane, you were fine. But if you were just, you know, chit-chatting, walking along, looking at whoever you're speaking to, you were getting banged out of the way. I was just thinking, this, is, this isn't what it should be about. Um, it was it, like, that was the thing. And then you go and you watch the football match, you lose, um, which is like heartbreaking. And then you come out and then you hear all the stories of, you know, people getting robbed. Um, obviously, like I said, I was in Portugal at the time and there was a lad, um, a, um, a lad from Liverpool there who came over to the game with me. Um, his neighbour got stabbed. Um, uh, he got robbed, stabbed. Uh, another fella got, he said, got cut with a knife, but lucky enough he had a jacket on so it didn't actually do any damage to him. It ripped his jacket. Like when you hear stories like that after and you just think like, 
like wow um like even even for me i had my mum messaging me my sister messaged me all my friends messaging me um are you okay are you safe um lucky enough look i was i was okay yes i did get tear gas and pepper spread um but it was okay i was fine um but it was it was one of those where it was you did you did get scared um and then obviously the football didn't help either no 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 it was uh, it was uh, as you say a shit show is the only way to describe it um, and then mm. so, uh, when you left did you end up getting the subway away or how did you get away well the people the people i were with uh, were part of the liverpool friends and family okay um so I what you call it, I walked with them. I walked with them to the, the buses that Liverpool had put on. Okay. Just because I didn't want to, like, one, I didn't want to be on my own walking around Paris. Um, I know it's it's not technically Paris, um, but in that vicinity. Um, so I walked with them to the bus, and then I just I ended up blagging a taxi. I paid over the odds because some fellow said, well, I'm here to wait someone. And I said, like, I'll double the fare because I don't want to be walking around these streets. Um, so I got, in the, I got in a taxi. Um, I went to the what you call it one of the hotels where the where the families were staying to meet some you know some friends and then I went to the airport after and I flew back to Portugal the following morning yeah because um, we ended up going down the subway and like to get onto the subway there was a big queue down a very narrow walkway which at one point they were just tear gassing people away from because there was too many people there They're, the way they were mm. controlling the crowd was to like spray the little mosquito spray of, of pepper ridiculous. spray like, but where else are we supposed to go like I know oh, and that was it. That, that, that was the thing and you know, to see the accounts then, like I'm saying, oh, it was all the Liverpool fans' fault. It wasn't. Look, don't get me wrong. I'm not oblivious before anyone tries to correct me. Of course, there's going to be incidents where Liverpool fans were wrong. You know what I mean? That's that's human nature. You go to any any sporting event, there's going to be a couple of idiots. Um, but I'm going to say the 95% of Liverpool fans I saw were completely fine. There was no problem. Um, they just wanted to go and watch their team, support them. And they got treated like animals. Yeah. And for those kids that are like saying that they were lost coming up to David saying they're lost and then you see the police and they're there with their batons you'd normally see the police and think okay grand I'll run over them. and see if I can find my mom or dad or whatever the situation is but they're probably running away from them yeah and that was that was the that was the scary thing is like where do you where do you go because a lot of the French police didn't speak English they didn't want to help um like they were probably, I imagine they had a briefing before and said be on high alert. Um, and they they took no prisoners. They really didn't. They just didn't care. Um, there's enough accounts of people getting hit by police. Like as we said, the pepper spray, the tear gas, everything. It was just, it was just like even looking back on it now, it's the first time I've really spoken about it because I, I actually can't believe what I went through in that 24 hours and what I saw. And I think is this, like I had been to the Wanda Metropolitano in Madrid when Liverpool beat Spurs. And there was not one case of that. And um, there was no, like we walked up to the stadium, walked straight in. There was no problem. Like it was meant to be, I believe in Paris, it was meant to be six or seven, like ticket checks. Like nobody ever checked my ticket until I was actually like, eventually when they started opening barriers, when I went in through the barrier and they didn't even really check it. It wasn't scanned. And I just went in. Um, it's whereas mad. when I was, yeah, the whole, the, I, it's, 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 it's hard to even fathom what they were thinking and what was going on. Like, like I said, when I went to Madrid, you had about four ticket checks and there was police. It was like lines of police and there was no bother. They just said, like, we're checking you, I imagine, for any weapons or 
contraband or drugs or whatever. And then we went on to the next one. Can you show your ticket, please? This is the area you're going to. Then there was another one, but there was no, like it, you, you didn't mind getting checked because there was never any delay or anything. It was just people who were organized doing their job. Whereas Paris was just a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Let's talk about tonight. Um, uh, difficult situation for Ireland in that all of a sudden we need to win games. Um, you know, if we'd, if we'd won at the weekend, a draw tonight and everybody would have been okay. There's some signs of progress. So uh, a lot's going to be made of the team selection and a lot's going to be made of the performance. Um, what, what do you think we need to get from tonight for us to feel good about where the team are going and how we're progressing? After losing to Armenia, I think that everyone will go into the game expecting us, well, not expecting, but wanting us to win. Um, obviously, you, you're looking at the group with, you know, Ukraine, Scotland and ourselves. You'd expect us three will be battling out for top spot. Um, you'd expect both, all three teams to want to beat Armenia home and away. Obviously, we've been unfortunate to lose to Armenia. So now we're going into this game tonight where we can't afford to lose. Um, and then with with the added incentive of us, of us being at home, uh, we need to get a result. We need to, you know, win the game. Um, I don't think there's any sugarcoat in that. But there's been there's been plenty of experiences in the past where we've been in qualifying groups where we've lost games. If you remember back um, in my own time in 16, we lost to Scotland away, um, which was seen as catastrophic. Um, and then we went and we got a, a you know result against Germany, which no one expected us, which leapfrogged us back into the group. So, you know, the, the lads are going to be fully aware that they're going to have to go out and perform um, and they're going to have to, you know, go and win the game. Um, Ukraine, obviously, are off the back of the Wales game, which will be a huge blow to them. Their manager said, I think he's going to change a lot of the teams, so players are going to come in and they're going to be fresh. I think, you, you know, you touched on, you know, Stephen's team selection, and um, that's going to be real important. I imagine there won't be a lot of changes. Um, I know, obviously, Seamus has ruled out with injury, but... I, I would highly highly say that they're, they're going to be more or less the same team. Um, you'd probably expect Cyrus to come in for Seamus, but the rest will be more or less the same and he'll show that fate in that group to kind of go out and get a result. Does he need another body in midfield? Uh, we expect Ukraine probably going to play with three in there, which would mm. give them a nu- numerical superiority. Does that mean maybe somebody like Troy Parrott gets sacrificed for Knight or, or Alan Brown or somebody? Um, it's an interesting one. Like obviously, if 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 we're going to be have large amounts of possession, obviously you know we're going with this possession-based football now, and we're trying to play a lot more. If he does play the five and the two midfield, yes, they are they are outnumbered. But if our front three can pin them back, um, can, you know, can keep their back four occupied, then we can we can play with the two midfield. If we're going to be turning over possession loosely, um, it's going to be a long, you know, long evening for Cullen and Hendrick if they're playing. Um, the other one then is, do you, do, do you continue with that and you kind of get Troy to drop deep as a 10 so the two can play as the base and he can be just in front of them and kind of play that way um, so that, you know, in possession, you could look at kind of a 5-2-3 but out of possession and you're kind of a 5-3-2 um, where the two, the two, you know, Chidoza and uh, Callum would narrow up as kind of almost inverted forwards. Um, it's an interesting one just to see what way he'll go. Of course, like you said, he could take Troy out um, and put in another, you know, another midfielder like Alan Brown, who's lots of energy, who will get forward, who will get into the box. Um, it's going to be, a, it's it's certainly going to be an interesting one to see when once the team is announced. Can I ask you a question? One of the things that we we talked a lot about is players playing football uh, for their clubs and and 
coming and playing and how important it is to be playing. When when you were joining up with the squad, was there a difference in how you felt prepared for playing international football when you were in teams and when you weren't in teams? Was Did it make a significant difference? And in retrospect, were your performances always significantly better when you were playing week in, week out versus when maybe you weren't playing week in, week out? Um, I... If I, if I look at myself um, as an isolated case, it wouldn't have mattered a whole lot for me if I was playing or not playing going into international because I've said 150 times on, on off the ball, like playing for Ireland was my be all, an end all. It's all I ever wanted to do was to play for my country. Um, it wouldn't have mattered if I had no fitness or whatever. But at the same time, if boys are playing regularly, um, training regularly, then of course you feel sharp, um, like that's that's the big thing. And if you come into these international games, you're sharp and you feel that. Um, of course, then if you're not, there's the added pressure. But then you look at Shane Duffy starting his other day hasn't played in a long time with you know Brighton, but you know he put in a solid performance. Um, you wouldn't really fault him for anything in the game. Um, but then once you come up against better opposition who are playing regularly, they will have that sharpness. Um, that is that is a major thing, but. Is it a big deal? No, it's not. Obviously, it's it's better if a player is playing week in, week out. That when they come in, that they are fresher. They're you know they're up to speed. Um, but in my own case, there was times when it didn't really matter because I'd have ran through the brick wall and I wanted to play, so I'd been fine. And David, I'd love to hear your opinion overall in the the Nations League. Did the players look a bit shattered? Almost like they need a break. Like it feels like I know some of the Ireland players haven't had a lot of game time maybe with their clubs, but they've still been around, you know, been there in the club setup the whole lot. It still, you know, takes its toll. And then they come straight into international duty. I just felt like, wow, they just look like they need a bit of a rest. And it is, it is difficult because like like you said, when you're when you're grafting for nine months, and even if you're not playing week in, week out, you're still training five days a week. I mean you're still putting your body through enormous stress and, and then you've got the, the emotional side of, of football where you're thinking like, well, I'm not playing. I need to be in the team. Do I need to move? Do I need to speak to the manager? What, what's best? And then when you kind of come towards the end of the season, you feel like, oh, well, we're there. But then all of a sudden, certainly the players in the championship will have that little break. If they don't make the playoffs, they'll have that little break where then you go into the internationals and you're trying to like almost get back up to rhythm and get back into, into the flow of it again. Um, the internationals in the summer can be can feel like a groundhog um, and certainly then when you've got you know as many games as we do um, like this is I can't remember the last time Ireland played four games in the summer um, it's, it's it's quite remarkable and then to think they're not friendly so Stephen can't really afford to you know make wholesale changes make 10 or 11 in a game because each one of these games is important as you know the last or the next um, so it does feel it does feel at times when you're coming into international camp like that you know, you are long drawn out. Um, once these players finish these games, they'll only probably have the best part of two or three weeks. The ones in the championship will be back sooner than the ones in the Premier League. Um, so it can, it can take its toll on a player, but you just got to, I know, park that to one side and think like, I've got four games. We got plenty of time to recover in the hotel. Um, even between in between games with the travelling, they're well looked after. Um, so, you know, it's four games to kind of knuckle down and try and get results. What do you think is going to happen tonight? Oh, um, do you know what? Um, I'm expecting I'm expecting a better performance. We've under Stephen. I feel we've always played better against better teams. Um, 
Like you look at the Armenia game the other day, we dominated possession. We had large chunks of it. They were obviously sitting deep trying to catch us. We kind of just ran out of ideas, um, forcing passes, and it was kind of no. Once there was no plan B, but there was no kind of change in attitude from the players on the pitch. So I'm expecting, you know, Ukraine. I imagine the possession will be kind of fifty-fifty, and I think there will be, you know, spaces appear and gaps appear, which then we need the players to be brave, get on the ball, and try and create, make something happen. So I'm expecting a bit more of an open game. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we're going to get the result, but I kind of see a cagey, a cagey one-all, two-one Ireland game. <laughs> We, we, you know, Ireland won all draws in international uh, football. <laughs> I know. I, do you know what? Do you know what? I'd love to. I'd love to sit here and go expect us to win fully two nil. But I just, I just, I just, I just see it. If we, if if we can get the first goal, I think we'll win the game. But I think if Ukraine were to score first, then I think you know we'll roll our sleeves up, and we'll dig deep, and we'll get an equaliser. Um, if we if we score first, then I think it will give. The crowd an enormous lift will give the players an enormous lift and I think they'll kick on but then as you know there's been many occasions where we've unfortunately conceded first and then we start to play and there's that bit of pressure and then we get one goal it's, it's we we don't really necessarily always get the second no no it's true David great stuff this morning thanks a million for sharing all that with us cheers no congratulations on the triathlon oh thanks a million <laughs> we did it yeah, just know, about. Are you? Are you? Wh- what do you do now to get your physical? And after you finished, like, did you just stop all physical activity straight away, or what do you? How do you stay fit? I don't stay fit. <laughs> um, I play five aside on a Wednesday night, um, so I'm playing. I'm playing tonight at six o'clock. Um, I'll play. It's only forty minutes. Like we we spoke about that. But besides that, I don't go to the gym. I do the odd, the odd bit of cycling here and there. Um, you could sign, with, sign up for next year with us. Oh, well, I did ask you how far you went. Um, I think I'd be able to do that. that <laughs> yeah. I know when you asked me that question, he said, how far was it? I was like, OK, right. It's only 250 metres swim. We, <laughs> might do the, we might do the 750 swim next year, but yeah. it's the same. It's a 5k run at the end. Well, George, George, George just, just so you know, my mum swam for Ireland. My sister swam for Ireland. Wow. Okay, yeah. your oh, genes are unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, that was the thing. My wife couldn't believe it years ago. My mum used to come on holidays with us, uh, and she'd go off down to the beach and she'd swim in the ocean for an hour. She was preparing herself. I thought, I, I think she did a triathlon as well. Well, there you but go. She, she didn't do it. She didn't do a two hundred and fifty meter one though. She did the full one. Yeah. Well, it's a, uh, so, so you're signing up for the full one next year. Is what I hear here. David. That's it. Yeah. No, it's well, just, no. Do you know what? If I'm going to be completely honest with you, I want to do an Ironman. I don't want to do and then people say oh you should build it up and I think well no I'd rather just jump into the deep end and go hell for leather and then just go for the, the big one well if you're going to do an Ironman they do them in Hawaii that's the one to do <laughs> well, <laughs> there definitely you, was people in our triathlon they do in that Cork, were don't they yeah in Yol Right. There was definitely people in air triathlon they were training for something like they were incredible. Oh yeah. Yeah, like they weren't trying their first triathlon. Not that like us. Sure. There was a guy on the actual yeah, proper bike. Yeah, did you bike. see him? I was like, I, was like, I can't even fix these Hang ears. on a second here. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, that's, 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 that's part and parcel. I've got a proper road bike and all that. Um, but I just, I just, do you know what? It's still, it's still an incredible accomplishment to, you, you, to do it. It is, it's like three different aerobic fitnesses um, to combine them all it's, it is it is hard work but I just want I want to like what is it it's 2.4 mile swim um, it's 180 kilometres on the bike and then it's a run a marathon oh the only God. one I'll struggle with 
The only one I feel I'll struggle with will be the running because of my knee and the pounding on the concrete. I don't know what I... My whole thing was, could I run five miles, walk a mile, run five miles, and then obviously break that down into kind of category of five, do that five times. Oh God, you've thought about yeah. this. A lot. Oh yeah. Yeah. And yeah. You're, I, but you're telling us about it now to manifest it and put it out there so you have to do it. Isn't that what's going on here? Um, do you know what? I actually want to do a series, like actually go and train properly because I'm going to have to train for it, but then obviously do, I won't say a camera crew, but a camera and just record from start to finish. Um, because I believe I've spoken to people who've completed Ironmans. Um, I've probably spoken to a dozen people and the shortest amount of training one person has done for it was four months, but he felt he was in relatively very good condition going into the four months training. The right. rest of them were trained for about seven, eight months. So... Mm. That would be a good watch. The clock is ticking, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. We're, we're on board if you want to... Uh, yeah, that's the thing, Jared. The clock's not ticking. I'm 33. <laughs> I am 50. You don't have got plenty of time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, good stuff. Uh, we, we'll, definitely, yeah, we'll definitely talk to you about that again. I think I could do the swim and the cycle, but I, there's no way I could do the run. I, I, I just didn't really enjoy the cycle, but I didn't practice for that whatsoever. As I said, two days before I got the bike. So, yeah, well, I'm prepared. Yeah. But I loved the swim. I could have did longer in the swim and I, the run was grand. The next time, the next time you'll, you sign up for one, I'll do it with you. Excellent. Hey, there we go. Right, right, right. Yeah. But on one condition. Go on. I have, to be, I have to be partnered with Tommy Rooney so I can just laugh at him the whole way around. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing. I just want to, I want to, I want to, like, obviously the swimming, I'll just swim, finish, get out, and then I will wait for him. <laughs> You'll be waiting be... for him because I got in last and I, I went by Tommy in the swim. It's a deal. Yeah, I, like, I, Tommy, Tommy's looking for a pair of size 11 trainers the night before <laughs> it starts. Like, what's your preparation? Exactly. You know? Exactly. So Tommy, when you're watching this, Tommy, next year I'll do it with you or whenever you're doing one and I'll run and I'll cycle and I'll swim alongside him just to laugh. That is a deal. That's a deal. Yeah. David, good stuff. Thanks yeah. a million. Cheers. Fun. See you there. Bye-bye. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.